0: Well, I want to invite us this morning to continue worshiping together. To those that are on the live stream, welcome. We do have the live stream up and going now once again. However, I don't know how many people actually stuck with the screen that said, sorry, not showing up due to technical difficulties long enough to see it. But if, if, if you're here this morning in person and you know of somebody that perhaps would have been on the live stream, let them know that it did get going and so there will be a recording available of it uh, later on. Well, this morning, uh, it is great to, to be gathered together to worship. As we continue to worship, I want to let the Pastors Club know what, uh, what to draw a picture of this week, and Pastors Club is for kids of all ages, including adults that feel young at heart. If you want to draw a picture, by all means do it, if that helps you to focus, and you know, if you give it to me, you're part of the Pastors Club too, so, but here's what I want you to draw a picture of this week, and you've got a lot of freedom on this one, Okay? draw a picture of something that you find amazing in nature. Now, amazing doesn't mean big. It could be something really small, but something that you find is just absolutely amazing in nature. We're going to be talking about God's work in creation and nature this morning. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to invite us all to think about a situation that we are currently going through that we are struggling with. Now, don't worry, you're not going to have to share this. We're not going to have you know, raise your hand and tell us what, what's your situation kind of thing. This is just, just for you to think about. But I'm sure every one of us can think of something that we are struggling with. And I want to start this morning by sharing a word of encouragement via some pictures. And uh, the first picture is for those who relate well to cute little kids. You got this. If you relate better to puppy dogs, maybe this one will help you. And if you need a more manly picture to to connect with, maybe this one will help you. And if that doesn't do anything for you, then maybe we need to just forget the pictures and here's the message, you got this. You know, when I was preparing this sermon, I I wanted to use this phrase in my title, but I struggled with with how to use it because I wasn't sure, should it be a statement, you got this, Or should it be shown this way with a few question marks on the end of it and ask it as a question, you got this? That's what I wasn't sure about. I want us to hold on to this thought. We're going to come back to this phrase, you got this. We're going to come back to this situation that you're grappling with, so don't shove it all the way out the backside of your brain, but you, know, you don't have to keep it right at the forefront. We're taking a look at Job chapter 38 through 41 this morning. We are taking a look at the, where the part of the book where we actually get to hear the Lord speak. The conversation between Job and his friends is done, and we now are going to have Job hearing God's voice. And it starts out with these words Job chapter 38, verse 1 Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. We don't know what this phrase, the storm, means. Some commentators think it's a metaphor for this, this tumultuous situation that Job found himself in and the grief and the struggle that he was having. Most commentators feel that it actually does refer to some physical manifestation of God. The word storm literally means a whirlwind or a tempest. Perhaps there was actually a wind that came. Perhaps some commentators suspect that it was a cloud, perhaps a dark cloud. That does match up with other times in Scripture where God's presence was made known to mankind and and you know, the temple would be filled with a cloud or the tabernacle or the place where people were experiencing God's presence, would they be surrounded with a cloud? But we actually don't know. This text does not tell us specifically what is meant by it, but we know that God himself made his presence known to Job and he spoke to him. And this morning, as we go through this text, I want us to invite, to invite us to consider the CPR of this text. No, not the first aid thing that you do, you know, where you pump the chest and breathe into them and all that kind of stuff. No. What's the content of what God said? What's the purpose of why He said it? And what's the response? So what's the content? We see that God is speaking, and He starts in verse 2, With the question that he asks, that the whole rest of this text seeks to answer. God says, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, um, which one of you guys has been talking and really not understood what you were talking about? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where they, they're just, you know, talk, 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 and after a while you go, I don't think you have a clue what you're talking about. Sounds good, but I don't think it's... Some of you are shaking your heads. You're going, yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. Some people have that gift, you know. They can just enter into a conversation and make it sound like they know all about the topic, even though they know nothing about the topic. Some people aren't that gifted that way. But obviously Job knew or God knew Job and his friends had been talking about some things that they really didn't understand. Just to refresh our memory, Job's friends continually were saying, God is a God of judgment and justice, and God's judgment often looks like suffering. So Job, because you're suffering, that means you've done something wrong. You need to repent. And Job's logic was... Yeah, God's a God of judgment, but he's also a God of blessing to the righteous, and I've done nothing wrong, so God, you are handling this situation completely wrong. I want to appeal my case to you directly. And so we have the Lord asking this question, who speaks without understanding? Now, for the rest of the text, the Lord uses rhetorical questions, You familiar with rhetorical question? Can anybody think of a rhetorical question that you can throw out? Just what's a rhetorical question? an Example of a rhetorical question. What's that? That That one? The one that you just said. The one that I just said. Yeah. Can you think of a rhetorical question? Absolutely, because everybody can think of a rhetorical question. Thank you. That is brilliant. That is fantastic. Completely caught me off guard with that one. Awesome. A rhetorical question is a question that you ask that is so, the answer is so obvious, it does not need to be asked. You know, like, Pastor, are you wearing pants? (laughs) Uh, Yes, of course I'm wearing pants. Like, hello, you don't need to ask that question. You know, and throughout these four chapters, God asks a whole series of rhetorical questions about creation and about nature. And there's a little section that talks about judgment. We'll come to that in a minute. Here's how he starts out. This is God speaking to Job, beginning at verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Here's here's some some rhetorical questions that uh, we might be able to relate to, given our weather patterns lately. Verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? Jump down to verse 29. He says, From whose womb comes the ice? who gave birth to the frost from the heavens when the waters became hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? These are just a few of the questions that God asks. And in every one of these questions that he's asking, he's basically saying, okay, Job, you've got my attention. Were you there when I made this? Do you understand how I created this? Do you understand how I control this? And for four chapters, it's just question after question after question being asked of Job, all of which are rhetorical questions, because the answer honestly is, no, Job was not there, and no, Job does not understand how God does these things. And at first glance it might seem like the primary focus of this text is creation. That God is talking all about creation and he's trying to tell the story of how he created things, which raises questions in a lot of people's minds, I'm sure. I'm sure the moment I say creation, some people's wheels start turning in their brain and all of a sudden they start going, okay, creation, yeah, I've, I've heard about this, I've read about this, I've thought about this. How is it possible that God created everything in six days? Did God create everything in six literal days or was it six extended time periods? You know, the Bible says that a year is like a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day and, and, and so maybe it wasn't literal and besides... When was the sun and moon created? Halfway through creation. So how did you even know it was a day and a night before the sun and moon were created? And we had all these questions that start going on. How old is the earth? When did creation happen? Young earth, old earth. You know, the purpose of this text is not to give us the answer to questions like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with debating questions like that and having various opinions like that. And I'll actually tell you what my opinion is on it. If you ask me, so, was the earth created in six literal days? My honest answer would be, I don't know. Brilliant, isn't it? I'm a pastor, and that's the answer that I give. So, is the earth young earth, old earth? I don't know. How did God create that? I don't know. How does God keep things in order? I don't know. Now, we have opinions about that. You know, we look at Scripture, and we look at teachings, and we look at science, and we try to put it all together, and we'll all have various opinions. But here's where I park myself on this. First of all, God did create everything, period. Someone comes to me and says, I don't think God created everything. Oh, boy, there's a hill I'll die on. Absolutely, because the Bible's very clear. God did create everything, Someone comes and says, I don't think God's in control of everything in nature. It just, it just happens. I'm, Whoa, hold on a minute. God. Not only did God create everything, God is in control of everything. But when it comes to the question of how, or how long did it take, or when, I start from my view of God. I believe in a God who can do the miraculous. What's Miraculous. Miraculous is doing, be, being able to do things that human beings can't. Things that only God can do. I mean, how did Peter get out of a boat and walk on water? Were his feet really that big that there was so much surface tension that he could actually walk on water? I don't think so, because otherwise we probably would hear Peter described as being Peter the big-footed apostle. No, he got out of the boat and he walked. How did that happen? Defies the laws of physics, which means it's miraculous. How did the blind person all of a sudden be able to see? It's miraculous. It's something only God can do. Even today, I have heard testimonies given where doctors will say, what has happened in your body defies logic. It defies medical science. The only thing we can attribute it to is to the miraculous. I believe in a God who is able to work in ways that blow my mind and I can't even come close to understanding, which in my mind makes it possible for God to create everything in six literal days. I don't understand how, but I believe he could do it. Now, does that mean that's a hill that I'm going to die on, that absolutely I'm a six literal day creation person? No, it might not be. I'm not saying that it absolutely is, but I believe that God could have done that. It starts with my view of God, though. And why is God presenting this huge picture of creation? I would encourage you to take time, actually, to read through chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41 at some point. Probably not right now, okay? Let's, let's focus on the sermon right now, but maybe when it's done, you know, take time to read through. It is an amazing picture of some of the things that God has created and some of the things that God does in, crea- in controlling nature. Why is that his response to Job? Just before I answer that question... We need to notice one other thing in terms of content. There is only one section of this text where the Lord actually speaks to something that has been said by Job. Chapter 40, verse 8 and following, we read these words Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me justly yourself? Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor, and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud, and bring them low. Look at all who are proud, and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave then I myself will admit to you that your own hand can save you. This is the only place in this text where we have God speaking about something other than creation and nature. And what's he speaking about? Job's understanding of God's justice or lack thereof. Because remember, Job has been saying all along, I don't deserve this. I've done nothing wrong. God, I want to appeal my case directly to you. In other words, I know what justice should look like in this situation. And so in these few verses, using once again rhetorical questions, God counters that. Do you really understand justice? Do you have arms like mine, God says? Can you humble the proud? Can you, and he starts listing all these things that are involved in his justice. He says, if you can do that, I love the the last verse there, Uh, "If, if you can do that, then I myself, this is God speaking, God will admit to Job that Job's own right hand can save him. There's the content. It's a whole series of rhetorical questions about nature and the work of God in creation and controlling nature and rhetorical questions about justice and judgment and God's work in it. So if that's the content, what's the purpose? Why does God give this? Wouldn't it be a whole lot easier for God just to you know, sit down and pull out the notebook and say, well, okay, Job, back in this conversation, you said this. No, this is the right answer. Um, you know, Elihu, you said this. No, this is the right answer. Eliphaz, you said this and this and this. Oh, man, you got that way wrong. Come on, this is what it is. Why does God use a series of rhetorical questions to answer, and why does he choose to focus on creation. You know, a number of the commentators that, uh, that have written on the book of Job have pointed out how this response by God almost sounds like God is poking fun at Job. Well, think of it. Job, were you really there when I created everything? Job, are you stupid? Do you really think you understand this? Job, do you really get this? Oh my goodness. Job, come on. I'm the God who did this and you think? And for four chapters it goes on that way. Listen to, chapter, to uh, verse 21 of chapter 38. It's almost like God is being sarcastic. Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years Remember who's saying this? The God who was and is and is to come. The God who's existed for eternity past and will exist for eternity. And he's saying to Job, well, you've existed so many years. It sounds like he's mocking Job. What you think of it from that perspective it's like, this doesn't sound like a God of love and compassion and caring and comforting. But I came across something that I want to, want to read to you because it just explained it so much better than I could. Uh, one of the commentary series that I really enjoy using is the Expositor's Bible Commentary. And one of the reasons why I like this commentary series is it's not just one person's perspective. Um, There's one fellow who's the editor, but he asked different people to write the commentaries on each book. But even within the commentaries on each book, it's not just that person's view. The book of Job, the commentary itself, quotes from 130 different books and articles. And so it always presents not just, here's what I think is the right way to interpret this, but it presents all kinds of options, and then weighs in on on why the the particular author will, will feel theirs is. And I appreciate that. It gives me a chance to grapple with some of the differing opinions. But here's what was stated in this commentary about the idea of God mocking Job. He starts out by basically saying, I disagree with that viewpoint, and here's why. Irony is used, but the irony of God's questions are to instruct Job not to humiliate him. Job had the high privilege here of sitting at the feet of the Lord. Had the Lord wanted to humiliate Job, he might have taken up the errors point for point like Elihu. No, Job needed to learn something about the character of God by walking through all creation with him and contemplating his natural marvels. Far from being crushed Job was being made wonderfully aware of who God is in a universe full of paradoxes for man, and yet filled with joy and wonder. In this way, Job learned to take God at his word without understanding hardly any of the mysteries of his universe, much less the reason why he was suffering." Why does God spend four chapters talking about his work in creation? He's not doing it to mock Job. He's doing it to bring Job to a deeper understanding of who God is and what he has done and of the character of God. As you read through Job chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41. I would encourage you to do so from the perspective of worshiping God for what He has done. I mean, as the Lord starts asking these questions, Job may have felt a little humiliated at first, but the intent of this text, the intent of the Lord's speech, is to draw Job to that place of raising his hands in worship, of bowing his head humbly and acknowledging, wow, you are amazing, God. I don't understand all these things that you're talking about, and yet you have created them. You control them. You understand. That is who you are, God. That is the purpose of this text. Now, the response, we're going to take a look next week at Job's response. Actually, in chapter 40, there are a few verses there where we hear Job's response in the middle of of the Lord's speech, and then we have a whole chapter in chapter 42 that speaks uh, where Job responds. But for this morning, I want us just to pause and think about, what's my response? let's go back to what we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. Bring that situation from the back of your mind now back to the forefront. That situation that you're dealing with in life that you are struggling with right now. This morning, our scripture reading was done as part of Expression Worship through music. We sang part of the passage. It was read, part of the passage was read for us. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up, to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from you, the Maker of heaven and earth. And you know, as I thought about this text, I thought of a picture like this. We've got the pictures. Oh no, not that. No, the picture with the verse on it. Sorry, that one. There we go. With the mountains on it. Yeah. If, if the baby connects with you, okay. The baby came up for a reason. Maybe we'll bring him back up again, but. You know, when I used to think of this text, I would think of the mountains and get a beautiful picture in my mind like this. And I would think of how the mountains are a reminder of God's majesty and his strength and what he's done in creation. And this is the one who helps me. And I view Psalm 121 almost as a rhetorical question. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Very similar to what God's been doing with Job, focusing on creation and saying, this is the God who's got this situation in control. But you know, a few years ago, I had opportunity to visit a community in a mountainous region with a very strong Buddhist influence. And uh, while I was there, had opportunity to walk around the town a fair bit, got to know the community a bit, got to do some hiking, and, and, and we were visiting some friends there, and they introduced us to some other friends, and as I was chatting, after I'd been there for about a week, one of these, you know, a friend of the friend, says to me, are you familiar with Psalm 121? Said, yeah. He said, what do you think it means? Of course, we're in a mountainous region, so I'm like, wow, well, you know, I look around and I see the mountains and it reminds me of who God is and that he created all this, and that's the God who helps me. And he looks at me and goes, that's interesting. I'm thinking, oh, oh what's coming next? Like, that's kind of a loaded statement there. He says, so, when you stand in the middle of this community and look around to the high places, what do you see? And right away, I knew what he was talking about. Strong Buddhist community And on top of every little hill in town, and when you looked out of town and looked up on the mountains, on the top of every peak, you could see a Buddhist temple. That's where they put their places of prayer. I mean, within walking distance of where I was staying, I could walk to three different temples. Every one of them, I had to go up a little hill, and there on the top of the hill would be a Buddhist temple. And so I said, well, Buddhist temples. He said, so when people in this community look to the mountains for help, what do they see? Do they see the reminder of who God is, or do they see an option as to where they get their help from? Well, that's an interesting thought. He wasn't done with me. He was, he was preaching a full sermon out me. He still had point three and four to go. He said, um, by the way, uh, remember in the Old Testament when the people of Israel would go into and they'd be told to you know, destroy all the pagan gods in a nation kind of thing? Where were those altars often? I knew the answer to that. The high places. Yeah, the high places on top of mountain. Ooh, wait a minute. Is there a connection here? And he pointed out a way to interpret Psalm 121 that I'd never thought of. The psalmist, there's a good possibility, would not have been necessarily looking at this in terms of, look at the mountains, wow. It would have been, as I look up to the mountains, I see the altar to that God, and the altar to that God, and the temple to that God, and the temple to that God. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from that God, or that God, or that God, or that God. My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. And I went, wow. I'd never thought of this verse from that perspective. Okay, what does that mean for us in Estevan? I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my help come from? Yeah, how many mountains do we see when we stand out in the church parking lot and look around? How many high points do we even see when we look around? I mean, the highest thing that I can see from the church parking lot is the water tower, and there's no Buddhist temple on top of that. The only thing I see is a communications tower. So does that mean this perspective is completely not relevant to us and that we can just go back to, well, the mountains remind us of who God is? I don't think so. We may not have high places to look to, But we don't have to look very far around us and we see things that we can rely on to be our source of hope, our source of help, our source of strength. If only I can get fill in the blank, then I'll be content. Then I'll be happy. We rely on our material possessions, on our monetary wealth, We rely on our position of influence or power in the community and say that that is what gives me the strength. We rely on our family and the relationships that we have. And as long as those relationships are healthy and good, then that's my source of hope and that's what will give me help. We rely on the wisdom of others and we rely on fill in the blank. There are so many things crying out for our attention and vying for our attention and society wants us to believe that this thing over here is the thing that will give you fulfillment. This accomplishment over here, this is what will give you strength. This is what will get you through your day. Those are no different than the altars to pagan gods on the top of mountains. I look around the community of Estevan. Where does my help come from? Does it come from all those things that society wants to bombard us with? And by the way, this is not a slam against the city of Estevan. I could preach this same message in any city, anywhere in the world. This is part of human nature and living in a fallen world. Do I put my hope in anything other? than the maker of heaven and earth. You know, when we think about that situation that we're struggling with, and when we think about this text in which God could have slapped Job's wrist and told him you were wrong about this and this and this and this and this, but rather the message that he gives to him is, look at who I am. If I can control all of this, if I created all of this, if I am the God who can do all of this, you can trust me. As you think about the situation you're struggling with, what's your focus? Is it, you got this? I got this. I'm confident. Is it, you got this? I don't know. I'm not sure if I got it. I need to figure out where can I get the help from. Or is it, as is up on the screen right now, you got this with you in all capital letters? You referring to God. Is it you got this? You got this? Or is it you've got this, God. You know, it doesn't always mean that we get the answers. In fact, most often we don't get the answers. We still have a lot of questions that the honest answer to is, I don't know. But it gives us that hope. It gives us that strength. It gives us the help that we need to move forward in whatever the situation is that comes to your mind. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who are you trusting? You got this or have you got this? Let's pray. Father, as we spend this time this morning looking into your word, we just Scratch the surface on four chapters of of text, and yet it is such a powerful message that comes through. We thank you that you are the God who has created all things. You are the God who knows all things. You are the God who can do all things. You are the God who's in control of all things. You are the God who loves us. You are the God who cares for us. And Father, I pray that you would help us in whatever circumstance it is that came to our mind of an area that we are struggling with. Lord, help us to be willing to reach out to you and to put our trust in you rather than leaning on our own understanding, leaning on what society might want us to to put as, as the source of help and hope. And Lord, where there are steps that you are calling us to take of tangibly doing things or or dealing with situations, may we hear your voice clearly guiding and directing us as to what those steps are. And may we be willing to take them, even if we don't understand how they fit into the big picture. May we trust you in that. Lord, we thank you for your love and the way you demonstrated that to Job and just in the way that you cared for him and revealed yourself to him in a time when really what he deserved was a strong rebuke. And yet, you chose to reveal yourself to him in new and renewed ways. Lord Jesus, do that work in our lives, I pray. May we gain new understanding of who you are, of the work that you are doing, and of the relationship we can have with you and who we are in your eyes. Father, I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.